Welcome to Dubs OT, your weekly Warriors podcast on thesportsvirus.com. Now, here are your hosts, Ray Woodson and Joe Castellano. Well, Ray, an ugly loss in Los Angeles for the Warriors as they come back from the All-Star break, and it didn't look good as they lost 130-104 to to the L.A. Clippers. A lot to talk about with this game. Uh, James Wiseman uh, sitting down until the fourth quarter. We'll get to that. But just the overall play was lackluster for Golden State, and now they've dropped four in a row. They're back to 500 with their record. A pretty low point, I thought. I thought it was one of their worst performances of the season. What did you think? Yeah, well, I mean, they haven't had a lot of good ones in L.A. of late, have they? No, and, uh, no. Yeah, th- this time it was the Clippers, and you had a, a sideline outburst. This time it didn't involve Draymond Green and Kevin Durant. It involved <laughs> Steph Curry. Right. And I feel, I feel the frustration there when you're, you're ending up playing with the G League All-Stars in the <laughs> second half. You know? But beyond that, yeah, the, where's the competitive fire? I mean, I guess pretty good in the first quarter, and then it just went away. And, uh, you know, uh, my fallback position is to try to take a step back, not to make too much of, of an outburst or any kind of argument. And, you know, I, I think we all knew there was something there with Draymond and Kevin Durant, and it came to fruition several months later. Just saying that with Steph Curry, you know, he's going to be going into the last year of his contract. And you're the same question I brought up a few weeks ago. You're in one of his prime years. What are you doing about it? And how does he view it? Uh, are you making him happy? Uh, he didn't look too happy tonight, and that could be for various reasons. But, you know, when he's trying to exhort his teammates to show some fire, you know, that they had a break. And here he, he went to Atlanta and did all the things he did in the All-Star game and looked terrific. And he looked fired up and didn't look like very many others were. And I don't know if he was thinking about Wiggins or Oubre or – whomever, but uh, the fire wasn't there, and this is a team that still is ostensibly competing for a playoff spot, although right now they're out of it. But when somebody like Steph is getting frustrated, uh, there's, there's something there. You know, there's, there's a little bit of fire with the smoke. So you've got to address it. And, they got, and I think even he said we've got to do something about that, about the competitiveness. And maybe, <laughs> maybe he's He's thinking about uh, the, the late, great Kobe Bryant, who, when teams were getting competitive, uh, would say, well, it's time to say goodbye to some of you bums. Uh, <laughs> you know, or LeBron James, you know, when he's not happy with the roster around him, uh, throw your weight around. And Steph and LeBron had a final time playing together Sunday. So maybe a little bit of that rubbed off. I don't know, but this is, this is the generational player that the Warriors have had for a decade. They drafted him. It's been his team, was his team during the championship years, is his team now. Is it going to still be his team? Do you still regard it as Steph's team as he's about to turn 33 years old? What's the commitment there? How does the franchise view him and, and this season? And are thinking about making another championship run next year? And I guess what they do over the next few months will tell you the answers to those questions. But seems to me like a lot of stuff is up in the air right now. Oh, yeah. And I, I think that he's just frustrated. We talked about it on the last podcast that I saw Curry getting more upset at officials this year, I think, than we've ever seen him yeah. get upset. And that was really the most animated. I agree with what Reggie 
Miller was saying that that was really the most animated that we've seen Steph. That was a great replay that TNT had of Steph, you know, getting animated with his teammates. I like it. I mean, I think that's something that you want to see from Steph a little more often, you know, being a leader. But there is that frustration that you're talking about there. And, you know, I wonder if some of these guys are sleepwalking a little bit through this, knowing that the deadline is is coming soon for trades. And, you know, a guy like Wiggins, a guy like Oubre, they, they don't know if they're even going to be in the Warriors' future. So I wonder if that's part of it. Well, it might be something that's in the back of their minds, but at that point, maybe you're playing harder. I don't know. Yeah. Every every player's reacting differently to that sort of situation. It's never easy. And listen, it was frustrating for Steph tonight anyway. The Clippers did a good job defensively against him. He didn't shoot real well. He came out of the gate cold, ended up one for eight from three-point land, and it was not one of his better games. In fact, he's had a couple of his worst games in L.A. Uh, recently. So, uh, that that was probably a little bit of it as well. But I, you know, I, I always tend to think in these situations, when it's a player like Steph and you have guys on the national stage saying, I haven't seen him like that in a long time, that you know there's something there beyond just this game. It's probably the, the most animated I've seen him since he flung that mouthpiece into the crowd in, in the finals against Cleveland yeah. a few years ago. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, uh, that was a build-up frustration of a, of a different type. But this is a competitive guy. And, you know, he hasn't gotten this great without being super competitive in a lot of different ways. And when he doesn't see it in his teammates, especially coming out after the break, it's got to be frustrating. And, of course, on top of that, uh, your, your number two draft pick, second overall pick, gets benched in the first half. And he's sitting there on the sidelines looking like they've taken his soul away. And it's all displayed on national TV it's tough on a 19-year-old kid, too. And I understand the reasons why they did it. I'm just talking about the optics of it involving James Wiseman. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, they have to do something, I think, in that case, right? Because here's a guy who forgets about his COVID test. You just can't do that. I know he's 19 years old. Uh, but, you know, they, it's, not, it's really not so much that you have to teach him a lesson. It's more that there's a certain standard to playing in the NBA. And he, I, I think mm-hmm. he just has to learn that. Uh, so, lesson learned, he came out in the fourth quarter and played really well. I mean, you know, look at what he was doing. So, maybe, you know, there's a little extra motivation that, hey, you know, I made a mistake, but uh, I'm still a good player. Yeah, I don't know if some people will give the coaching staff credit for lighting a fire under him. I give Wiseman credit yeah, for, for responding yeah. the way he did. You know, I mean, it's, it's, it's garbage time. So, again, asterisk, you have to be aware of that. You know, Brian Sabian would have called it fool's gold, <laughs> the Jordan Poole garbage minutes from, from the game before the break. Uh, you know, he came out tonight and he kind of looked lost for a little bit there, and then he finally got, got it going. But, uh, you know, with, with Wiseman, Better that he responded the way he did than not. He ends up being the second leading scorer and rebounder for the night, and he played just 12 minutes. So good for good for him. Uh, yeah, he made a mistake. My question is, uh, for other players around the league, if they missed a test, did they face a similar penalty from their team? And it's not to say the Warriors have to look around the league and say, hmm, how did this team handle it? They've, they've got their own standards, and they want some accountability. But, you know, I, I just wonder when it comes to a COVID test with a rookie who's dealing with confidence issues, how, how do you deal with that? Do you, do you make it something that's public or do you figure out some discipline uh, on the side that's not made public? Because, again, this is a national TV game and the camera was focused on him and he, he, he looked like he was 
distraught there for a while. Yeah. But to his credit, again, he responded well when he came into the game, and I hope you see more of that. Because, look, he's and Steve Kerr said it after the game, he's going to play, uh, and he's going to play more and more. And you look at this roster, okay, you've got Green, you've got uh, Curry, you've got Oubre, and you've got Wiggins. Those are your four best players. Outside of that, who's their most talented player? It's Wiseman. Yeah, he's the you guy. <laughs> Yeah, so you got to play him. You got to develop him if you're going to develop anybody. The problem is they've got a bench that that they have to develop now too because it's been very inconsistent and pretty much a liability for much of the season. But in the meantime, how do you handle this kid? Because you made him your second overall pick, and he, here's Anthony Edwards and you know uh, Lamelo Ball getting all kinds of run. Okay, and and here's Wiseman dealing with drama after drama. Now, I, you know, I kind of understand they had to do something because he missed some time in the preseason because of the COVID-19 protocol. Yeah. So you would think that, that this would be one guy who would understand, you know, you've got you've to make the tests. But, you know, they throw a lot of stuff at, at rookies. And a 19-year-old who played three college games, uh, picked second overall uh, to a franchise that's been one of the, you know, real marquee franchises in the NBA for the last five years, Coming in that situation, uh, you're thinking about a lot of things. Now, uh, this was one after the All-Star break, so one would think that, you know, he didn't have so much on his schedule that he could have forgotten it. And to his credit, he owned up to it after the game, and he answered questions uh, on the Zoom conference call. So good for him. I like the way he responded to it. But, uh, you know, and, and, and if he plays, do they win this game if he plays in the first half? No. So in the grand scheme of things, did it make a big difference that uh, he was out a few minutes in the first half? I'm just talking about how how you handle him mentally as well as, as physically, you know, whether, whether it was the best thing. Time will tell, I guess. Yeah, and I think it is hard on rookies. You know, I was thinking about it watching the game, Ray, that you got to be patient, you know, whether you're a coach or a teammate or, or just like us just watching it as observers. Uh, you have to be patient with him. You have to be patient with Nico Mannion because, you know, I'm, I'm eyeballing him going, I don't know, is this guy an NBA player? I, you know, he's, he's falling down. He's shooting an air ball. He, he's turning the ball over, all these bad things. But then you see some explosiveness, and the way he handles the ball is pretty good. And you can see why they made him a second-round pick. And it's really tough because these guys, like you said, they have a lot on their plate as rookies. And now Mannion and Poole as well, they're both going to get a lot of playing time, it looks like, with this new rotation setup. It looks like Wanamaker is, you know, the, the odd man out. Or, and Mulder, he didn't play as well. Those are guys that are not going to play really as much. And these younger guys are going to get a shot. Well, Wanamaker has is, is probably earned the benching. I don't know if you play Poole and Mannion together, though. I mean, Mulder's one of the better shooters on, coming off the bench, better shooters on the team, and you need those. Uh, so I'm still a little puzzled by some of the rotation. Uh, you know, I look at Mannion as a much longer-term development, uh, but it sounds like uh, they're, they're ready to go a little more all-in. But that gets back to, Joe, the questions we asked a few weeks ago on this very podcast. How do the Warriors view this season? Because apparently, they, and probably rightfully so, they view it as, well, this is not a championship team. They're not going to win the title. They're not going to make the finals uh, and may not make the playoffs. So is that how they view them? And, and you know, how does Steph feel about all this? And have you talked to Steph about this, about what direction the team's going in? Are you, are you using, you know, a, a generational player, one of his prime years, to help develop guys? You know, when there was 
a lot of optimism with Steph coming back about how the Warriors would be this year. And, you know, again, it's much better than last year, but the last couple of weeks they've looked like that 15 and 50 team. They're just getting blown out. And then they got Utah and the Lakers coming up. Good luck with that. And then they're, 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 they're out of the playoff picture even more. And then there's, there, there comes the point where it keeps going in this direction. Okay, if you want to develop these young players, I guess you're going to start shutting down Curry and Green. <laughs> you <Yeah>. know, because <laughs> why, waste, why waste the energy and the mileage on a season that you've decided is not only not a championship season, but maybe not a playoff season? Those are decisions going to have to be made pretty quickly here in the next few weeks. And, you know, some of this also depends on how the, the trade market develops. And, you know, that, that, that leads to another question that ties in with Wiseman. Uh, is this a, a player that you want to keep developing for two or three years? And, you know, everybody, Draymond and, and Steve Kerr and others, think he's going to be special. And there are times when he shows that he is. I think if you stop trying to make him a low-block player, he'll probably be a better player. But, uh, you know, maybe later on when he gains a little more strength and, and girth, he, he can develop more post moves. And he's got a couple of nice ones. But, you know, there, there's there's some big dudes in this league that he can't, face up against right now so you know i have him do what he does well but are you going to do that for the next two or three years with wiseman or are you going to be able to package him with say a wiggins or an Ubre or maybe eric pascal and get yourself a star player to surround steph with and say okay we've got this guy for a couple of years along with clay coming back and draymond and and we're going to be a force to be reckoned with next year and and is that how you make steph happy you know, Steph hasn't said a whole lot about it. I'm just looking what his reaction was on the sideline tonight. It's just one little clue. But, you know, he's saying all the right things in public. But, you know, a competitive guy like that, he's 33 years old, with Clay coming back. Uh, that window is maybe two more years, maybe. Uh, so that that's how long it, it might take to develop Wiseman into being a force in the NBA. Or do they think that Wiseman, Wiseman at 20 – to make the leap next year and be part of a championship rotation. Yeah, it's all it's all very difficult. I mean, and I want to go back to a few things that you touched on there. First of all, the schedule, you kind of had a feeling they were going to get exposed during this part yes. of the schedule. They just don't have enough, so here they are losing four in a row. The second unit, even with a different rotation, uh, you know, you just you feel like I think watching this team, that's a real weakness. I mean, they're just not able to keep up with a second unit of other teams. And then when you mention a superstar, Reggie Miller even alluded to that. He said they're one superstar away. I don't know. I mean, I don't know that you're going to get that superstar if you're making this package deal. I mean, yeah, that'd be great because, you know, if you have Clay Thompson, Steph Curry, a superstar, and then Draymond Green, I mean, that that's still that's going to be great. But I don't know that you're going to be able to get that. And, and is that really necessary? Do you have to have that? We see what's going on with Brooklyn, you know, that's great that they have the three, um, you know, some other teams that are that are uh, really well positioned to try to make a run at the title. Do the Warriors need that or do they just need some better role players like they had when they had Andre Iguodala, they had uh, Livingston, Sean Livingston, they had other guys that would always be really good role players, which they don't have this year. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, those role players off the bench were constants of those championship years, too. And it's not easy to put that kind of bench together under the salary cap constraints. No, especially you know you you, you got you paid Steph and you're going to have to pay him again. You paid Clay, you paid Draymond, may have to pay him again. Um, it, it gets a little more complicated once they've developed that resume, and you know they're they're up where they are in the pay scale 
that makes it tougher. So do you, do you top load the team and, and hope for the best, or do you try to make the bench better around them? Because, uh, you know, you're going to have to play likely Steph, Clay, and Draymond fewer minutes, you know, in, in the next few years. They're not going to be able to sustain that pace, especially if they're going to be going through a championship run. So is it better to, you know, build a stronger bench? And, you know, uh, that, that also could be developed through the draft, too. Uh, it, it's it's a real conundrum, and I'm just sorry that Jerry West isn't around to help him anymore. Yeah, oh boy, he was great at <laughs> helping to put this team together. Yeah, no doubt about it. Now he's in L.A. with the Clippers. So, uh, I mean, look, yeah. at, look at what they've done. And, and by the way, it seemed to me, Ray, that uh, every time I looked at Kawhi Leonard, he was making a shot. I, I can't believe he actually missed any shots because every, every shot he took, it looked like it was going in. The guy... I mean, he's just a force out there. We knew that anyway, but uh, he played really hard against the Warriors tonight and had a really good game. Well, it, it reminded me of the 19 finals when uh, he was an MVP. I, I'll have to go look at the stats, but I think he's shooting approximately 117% against the Warriors <laughs> in his career. Pretty much. <laughs> it just seems that way. He was actually 10 of 17, but 5 of 7 for the free, 28 points, 9 rebounds. I mean, he was terrific. Ibaka was terrific. He had... 14 rebounds. Uh, you know, they, when you got Kawhi and you got Paul George, and, you know, that's the other part of it. I know fans are very frustrated tonight. They're, they're not beating the Clippers on, the, on a regular basis. The Clippers are a better team. So that part is in the shock. I think what's, what's causing people to freak out now is just what you alluded to. We're in that part of the schedule that's just a meat grinder, and we talked about it the last couple of weeks. This is something to be concerned about, how they – how they get through this and you know they tossed away a couple of wins which makes it even worse so i i know that uh i know that there may still be a chance even if you get through this tough part uh you know that they they could rally and, and get back to the playoffs and at least make it interesting and you know they're a team that uh, they probably have to go to a play-in game that which you know they're dangerous in that situation because you have steph curry but I, I, I just don't know how long it lasts. I don't see them getting past the first round of the playoff series. I, th- I think they make it entertaining, but that's about it. So I, I find myself thinking less and less about this season and more and more about the long term. Yeah, and, and you know, they have two weeks to figure this out as far as the trade deadline. But in my mind, I've already kind of made up my mind that I would trade Kelly Oubre. I mean, I, I don't think he fits into the long-term future of this team. I, I think he has a lot of skill defensively. Uh, he can be exciting when he drives to the basket. And then when he gets hot shooting some threes, you know, after a terrible start to his season, uh, he he's a valuable asset, but I just don't think he fits in very well with the Warriors. I mean, he likes to stand out on the perimeter most of the time and jack up some threes and Wiggins needs to be more aggressive. No doubt. I would not trade Wiggins though. I think he does fit into this team. I like the way he plays defense. I mean, he definitely needs a kick in the butt to be a little more aggressive, especially when somebody's hurt. Like the game against Phoenix, we talked about it. I said he needs to score 40. I was kind of kidding, but he needed to step up a little more. He, he didn't really even try to score in that game, it seemed to me. And, and he's been slumping lately. I think Wiggins needs to step up, but I would not trade him. I just think he fits in well. What do you think of those two guys? I'm not sure. I'm, you know, I, I think when, he, when he's engaged and he's playing his game, uh, to the best of his ability, yeah, he does fit in. There are other times when I think Oubre fits in, you know, he, after that terrible start to his season. But I, I sometimes still wonder, and I, this has been the, the problem throughout his career, 
whether he's really so engaged that he can bring it night in and night out. I mean, with Steph, you know, he he's always going to bring it. He just the ball may not fall in the basket, but you know, the effort's always going to be there. And it's gotten to the point where Steph's going to have to score forty for them to win. Uh, you know, not just Wiggins. Um, in, a, in a game where Steph doesn't play, for example, I, and I, I'm just not totally sold on Wiggins. He, he's later on in his career now, and that's what concerns me. If he was a rookie or second-year player, you could say, okay, well, he, he's got a lot of talent there. I, I just want to see a little more consistently good effort from him night in and night out, and I just don't see it. So I, I could see them trading him, and I can see why other teams traded him. He's, I can see why teams trade for him because he's still an enticing talent. But I can also see why, and you know, maybe he's just a victim of his own expectations, right? And, and he's never going to be that superstar guy. He's always going to be that complimentary guy. So it, it, maybe it just simply comes down to you bring Clay back next year and, and Wiggins can be a, a fine complimentary piece. An expensive one, but a fine That's one. the problem. What are, you, know, you, you don't want to pay that guy $30 million. Yeah, that's it. And, you know, and that's that's the the valuation you have to make with all these guys. You know, what are you getting for your buck? And, you know, it's, it's when you're dealing with a salary cap. So, hey, uh, uh, that these are all decisions. I'm sure they're they're hashing over the front office right now. And I wouldn't be shocked if he stays. I wouldn't be shocked if he's traded. All right, a couple of uh, other things I wanted to talk about uh, the NBA three pointers. Um, this has been a topic of conversation this week. There were some stories that have been written. Uh, you know, some of it goes to you're watching the All-Star competition and Steph Curry winning, that was thrilling, winning the three-point competition. But when you think about the NBA game today with so many more threes being shot, and the game has changed so much. I mean, you, you see a team come down on a fast break, and they're not even thinking about trying to get a layup on a two-on-one. They're throwing it out to the corner for a three. And I think the only solution, in my mind, is that you eliminate the corner three. You only have the uh, arc go, let's say, from the wings and then to the top of the key, and, and that's it. Uh, because, I, I don't know, the, the corner threes, it changes the way the game is played. It has changed it. And I don't know if there's a solution in that regard or you do something else. I've even heard others, your former colleague uh, Tom Tolbert on KMBR was saying, eliminate the three. <laughs> I don't think you're going to wow. do that. I don't think you're going to do that, but <laughs> he'd like to see it. But uh, what do you think? I mean, what do you think that the NBA could do because it really has become a three-point fest in the league just every game now? Right. Well, there goes Steph. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That was my point to Tom. <laughs> on Twitter, anyway. Yeah. yeah. Did he respond? He did, actually. He said, I said something about, you know, you still appreciate Curry shooting threes, and he said you'd appreciate him anyway or something like that. So <laughs> I, I think that's true. I mean, I'm being flippant, I, you know. <laughs> Curry, Curry would find a way to still be an effective player, and maybe not quite have the impact he has now. Right. But you know, you know what I'm thinking about that. You know what I'd love to see. I'd like to see them try preseason games, uh, exhibition games without the three, just to see how the game looks. You know, because if you watch NBA games from the '80s, even when they didn't employ the three very much at all, uh, it and you look at example Lakers and the Celtics in the finals. Uh, it, it was a fun game to watch. It was quick moving. It was entertaining. Uh, it was at times spine tingling, you know, whether you had Magic and Larry Bird. It was a good brand of basketball. It was just very different. 
It doesn't mean I, you know, having seen all the and being witness almost front row to the, the Warriors championship years, that wasn't exciting as well. It was just a different brand of the game. But is it such a problem now that we need to talk about eliminating the three? I, I guess I, it doesn't strike me as something as being that much of a problem. I, maybe it bother, bothers other people more than me. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think it's exciting uh, to see these guys, the way they shoot the three. Uh, I just <laughs> Sometimes when I see a fast break, I would like to see somebody just go in and, and lay it in, I mean, <laughs> rather yeah, than throw it out yeah. for a three. Well, I, you see this so many times now, and, and I, 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 I am struck by how many times this bothers me. This is one part that does bother me. When I see a guy drive to the lane, and I'm thinking he's going to try to lay it up. He's going to try to try to muscle his way to the hoop. And always passes up the possible layup to swing for the corner three that, or, or the wing three. That part of the game has definitely changed a lot. Once in a while, the player will cross you up and, and take it to the hoop. But my instinct just from playing back in those days is, oh, hell, I'm, t- I'm taking this to the hoop. I'm going to take my shot. I'm not going to count on some guy from three-point range. But, you know, the, the analytics being what they are, uh, and, and knowing how good the shooters have become from three-point range now, uh, the metrics tell you it's a better play to get an uncontested corner three from a good three-point shooter than it is a contested shot under the bucket. So that's the way the game is right now. But I, I, I would be very curious to see what would happen if we had a two-point league somewhere. that that, that would bring out a whole bunch of different talent wouldn't it yeah uh yeah bring back bill ampere (laughs) (laughs) mid-range jumpers rule the day mid oh yeah who who was it it was richard hamilton the king of the mid-range jumpers (laughs) yes sir bring him back yeah it's a thing of the past all right and the last thing is just a little uh promotion for our next podcast we're going to talk to scott howard cooper who has been a basketball writer for the L.A. Times, NBA.com, the Sacramento Bee, and he wrote a book that's going to come out in mid-June about Steve Kerr, and I've been uh, in the middle of reading it. It's called Steve Kerr, A Life. Uh, And Steve's, you know, his life, you think about it, I mean, uh, being a guy who wasn't uh, considered to be a great player when he was in high school but somehow makes his way to Arizona and then the NBA and with the Bulls and winning all those all those titles and coming to the Warriors and, and winning, uh, you know, now his greatest challenge maybe because, you know, trying to get this team back to where it was, uh, that, that might be occurring. And we're going to talk to Scott. Just want to get your thoughts just about Steve Kerr uh, overall, just the, the picture of him. Uh, and the job that he's doing this year, and, and what he has in front of him. Well, I would advise against checking Twitter if you want to get uh, opinions on Steve <laughs> Kerr these days. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It, it's a what have you done for me lately? Uh, <laughs> that's that's for sure. Fan base, uh, I, I, you got to take a step back and uh, understand what he's dealing with here. I mean, he's he's trying to build a house with some popsicle sticks, especially <laughs> with the bench, right? right? Right. So, so do you blame the builder for that? Uh, other times I'm, I'm puzzled by the rotations, but there are nights where it doesn't matter because they're just not going to beat better teams. Uh, they're, they're just, they're, they're, he's trying to, uh, I think, walk a tightrope here, like we're talking about, where he's, he's assigned to develop these young players, but still keep Steph Curry happy and keep him engaged. So, uh, it's not the easiest year for him, and it, you know maybe just hang on till next year and 
you get Clay back and you sort of get the band back together again and some of the magic returns because I, I, I don't know how to break it this to fans, but usually coaches don't win unless they have their best players. Exactly. And they, they don't right now. So it doesn't mean he's above criticism, but I, I understand kind of what he's dealing with this year. And so, I mean, if they end up being around a 500 team, I don't think anybody should be shocked. And 500 may not be good enough to play, make the playoffs. To which I say, oh, well, <laughs> you know, get some rest for the summer and, and come back and load up for, for the 21-22 uh, season. Uh, but you look at the, the arc of his career, and I, I don't know if it's true or not, but I don't think there have been other books written about Steve Kerr, which really surprises me because uh, if anybody's got a, a life story that should be chronicled, it's Steve Kerr. I mean, he's... Uh, Really quite an amazing story. Things that have happened around him, happened with him, and happened to him. Uh, there, there's been, you know, the height of, of success and, you know, the, the pits of grieving uh, in his life. Yeah. And the way he's handled it with humor sometimes, uh, you, know, he, you know, you can see that the guy has perspective because he does handle losses on a big stage about as well as anybody. And I remember that after they fell behind two games to one in Cleveland in the first championship series in 15. And he made some adjustments, started Andre Iguodala, didn't tell the media about her. I think I referred to not making any changes. Then they asked him about a post game and he said, well, I lied. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's always, I mean, yeah, he's always been great with the media as far as that, even if he, if he even if he's not going to reveal everything. And, and you think about the luminaries of the game that he's played with or played for mm-hmm. or coached with or, or now coached, it's, it's quite an arc. So, uh, and and there, there's, there's a lot of drama there, there's a lot of humor, and there's a lot of sorrow. So, yeah, this is a story that definitely needs to be told. And I know a lot of people in the Bay Area know a lot of Steve's story already. I'll bet you Scott Howard Cooper has come up with some stuff we didn't know. Oh, a lot. There, yeah, I've already been uh, diving into that, and I can't wait to – uh, have Scott on with us uh, on our next podcast. So looking forward to that and look forward to catching up with you again, Ray. Uh, not the greatest performance <laughs> coming out of the All-Star break, but uh, you know we'll see what the Warriors are thinking going forward, especially uh, next couple of weeks with the trade deadline. We're going to have a lot to talk about after that. Yeah, now after all this talk, watch them take down the Lakers. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> thanks, uh, well, thanks, okay. thanks Ray. Have a great night. All right, you too. Thanks for listening to the Dubs OT Warriors podcast. Join Joe Castellano and Ray Woodson again next week on thesportsvirus.com.